a new Canon mirrorless camera body, two new Canon sensors, and a new Canon prime lens. All of this and more on episode 26 of the Liam Photography Podcast. listening to episode 26 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas. In this week's news from CanonRumors.com, it shows that Canon Rumors has been told that Canon has accelerated development of a pro-level EOS R camera, and they're not talking about a high-resolution model that we expect to see in late 2019 or early 2020. This new camera will be along the lines of a mirrorless version of the Canon EOS 1DX Mark II or Mark III. The source also mentions that it is possible this camera could be announced alongside the EOS 1DX Mark III in the first or second quarter of 2020, though the date of the announcement is a long way from being decided. Announcing these two cameras together would be a unique move for Canon, And while it's possible, I suspect we'll see a development announcement for the EOS 1RX, as they feel like calling it, will be well uh, before the actual camera ships. An EOS R professional body with some new RF Super Telephoto lenses at the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics next July would be a great time for the launch of a pro-level EOS R and RF mount lens at the same time. So when I was reading this article, I thought it was definitely interesting because I honestly didn't think that Canon was going to be moving on a high-level pro RF body right away, especially being we already know the 1DX Mark III is on its way. Uh, And the reason why I felt that is I didn't think Canon was going to want to cannibalize their DSLR sales by coming out with a high-end mirrorless, pro mirrorless body at the same time. But Canon Rumors is claiming that one of their sources is telling us that there's a strong likelihood that the 1DX Mark III and this new EOS RX could be coming out close to the same time or in the same, at least in the same calendar year, if not in the same quarter. Now, whether or not this is true, I'm not sure I really buy this. I honestly still believe that the first and only immediate Pro EOS R body that Canon is going to release is going to be the equivalent of the 5DSR that I currently have. And I've mentioned that in previous episodes. And the reason for that is I think Canon's going to want to get a more high resolution model to the market first, something more in the range of a pro full frame body, but not their top of the line sports body. I think they've got a little more. Um, work that they're going to do before they're going to announce a pro sports body. That's just my opinion, though. It will be interesting to see see if this rumor turns out to be true and how it plays out and when exactly Canon does actually announce a possible mirrorless full-frame sport body. Um, I, I think it would be great if they do come up with a uh, or release a high-end sport body in time for the 2020 games, but uh, I think in all likelihood that's kind of pushing it uh, 
Um, now, of course, you know, Canon could have been working on this for a few years now, uh, being that they finally released the EOS R in late 2018 and then the RP shortly after that. They could have possibly had a sports body in the works, but I don't think it's very likely. And one of the reasons for the reasons for that is Canon likes to take their time with a new flagship camera, especially to make sure all of the features and technologies they want to put in it are properly vetted uh, and that they're going to work perfectly. Because as I mentioned in previous episodes, Canon's reputation is everything to them, much like Apple's is on the side of IT technology. So I'm not... I'm just not certain that Canon is going to rush a 1DX repl mirrorless replacement anytime soon, especially when they're already dropping the 1DX Mark III. I think they're going to stick with the 1DX Mark III uh, for 2020 and possibly release a pro mirrorless sports body in 2021 or 2022. We'll have to wait and see. But I think as long as Canon at least releases a high-resolution pro mirrorless body that has two card slots. And, I mean, even if they give customers at least, you know, seven frames a second continuous shooting, that would be really good. And I think that would uh, make a lot of people happy. I don't think they are going to release a 14 to 20 frame per second uh, dual camera, you know, dual card slot replacement for the 1DX Mark II or three. I just don't see them doing that in 2020. I could be wrong, and if I am, hey, that's wonderful. Uh, but I just think that's how this is going to pan out. We'll have to wait and see, but that's just my opinion on the subject of whether or not they're going to release a mirrorless sports body by 2020. We'll have to wait and see, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to stick with the 1DX Mark III for the time being and possibly release the mirrorless sport pro body maybe in late 2020 but i'm thinking it's probably going to be 2021 or 2022. now the next piece of canon news that i want to talk about in this episode and i know i'll probably have listeners complaining because it's mostly canon news this week but hey that's the way the cookie crumbles so canon has recently announced a 120 megapixel ultra high resolution as well as a 2.7 megapixel ultra high sensitivity CMOS sensors. Now this news is from Melville, New York um, from back on June 20th. As image sensors are a driving force in innovating industries, Canon USA Inc., a leader in digital imaging solutions, is pleased to announce two new CMOS sensor products. The ultra-high-resolution 120-megapixel MXSI and an ultra-high-sensitivity 35mmFHDXSMA. These sensors help expand the company's lineup of industrial vision products and offer integrators and end-users additional capabilities when developing a solution in a variety of applications. And quote, as a result of Canon's success in developing and manufacturing advanced CMOS sensors for our own purposes, we expanded to create a business platform offering select sensor capabilities for use in industrial vision applications, 
said Kazuto Agawa, President and Chief Operating Officer, Canon USA. These two new CMOS sensors reflect Canon's dedication to this new business and reinforce our commitment to developing high-quality imaging solutions. Now, the 120MXSI sensor is built with the ability to produce clear, high-quality images, making it a great fit for integrators and end-users developing applications such as machine vision, security, robotics, precision, agriculture, and healthcare. This 120 megapixel sensor is capable of simultaneous and discrete image capture in both the visible and near-infrared spectrum at a maximum frame rate of 9.4 frames per second, which that's pretty impressive. The 35mm FHDXM or SMA, I'm sorry, Sensor is capable of capturing monochrome imagery in extreme low-light environments where subjects would be near impossible to recognize with the naked eye. Removal of the color filter array doubles the sensitivity of the previously announced 35mm FHDXSCA sensor, providing even greater low-light capabilities. This sensor can meet a wide range of ultra-high sensitivity needs when used as a component to support a multitude of applications developed by integrators and end-users, including astrological observation, natural disaster monitoring, security and object detection, molecular and cell biology, and industrial vision. The 120MXSI and the 35MMFHDXSMA CMOS sensors will be showcased in the Canon booth number 1611 at the Sensors Expo and Conference, which according to its organizer is the industry's largest event dedicated to sensors, connectivity, and IoT, taking place from June 26th through the 27th, 2019 at the San Jose McEnergy Convention Center, San Jose, California. So it sounds like today is the last day of this expo on, on uh, sensor technology. And for more information on Canon sensors, you can visit canon-cmos-sensors.com. And I'll include that link as well as a link to this article in the show notes so that you can check them out for yourself. Now, this sounds really cool. When I first saw the headline of a 120 megapixel sensor, I thought, man, that'd be really cool if Canon was gonna put that beast in like their mirrorless full frame replacement for my 5D SR, which has a 50 megapixel sensor. I was like, man, that'd be really sweet to get a, a, a new high resolution sensor that's almost three times the resolution of the 5D SR um, in an EOS R mirrorless full-frame body. That would be really cool, but it looks like these sensors are made for other technologies. Now, that's not to say that Canon might not use that sensor, uh, the 120 meg sensor, uh, megapixel sensor in a camera body, but it sounds like it's more for industrial use, uh, so there's probably little chance that we're going to see it in any kind of end-user camera body platform anytime soon. The 2.7 megapixel sensor, when I first saw the, the mention of that, I was thinking, why would anybody need a 2.7 megapixel sensor? But if you're going to use it in something like security cameras, 
or uh, astrophotography, I guess that would be okay. I mean, you don't need tons of resolution if you have the super low light performance. Um, then I guess that would be fine, but uh, we'll have to see how this flushes out. It definitely sounds exciting. Um, I know that, as I mentioned in previous episodes, Canon had been working on a 100 megapixel sensor for quite some time now. I think I first heard rumors about that 100 megapixel DSLR sensor, I think it was about a year and a half, two years ago, that Canon was working on. And it looks like they're working on other monster resolution sensors as well for other applications. And that's great. I mean, anytime you can get this kind of capability from a manufacturer of sensors, that's fantastic, especially, you know, for an industrial use or robotics use or security camera use, you know, anytime you can get new technology and sensors in those industries, that's fantastic. And it just goes to show how diversified Canon's portfolio of technologies, even imaging technologies are. And that's, as I mentioned in previous episodes, one of the reasons why Canon and Sony uh, have a lot more money to dedicate to research and development um, in their camera body systems is because they have, their revenue streams are coming from so many different market segments, you know. And I'm not saying that Nikon is strictly limited to cameras. I know Nikon does do a little bit more than, you know, just manufacture and sell camera bodies and lenses. But their personal corporate portfolio is nowhere near as diverse as Canon and Sony. You know, as I mentioned before, Canon does MRI machines and a whole bunch of other medical imaging uh, machinery technology. And it sounds like they do some stuff for industrial applications as well as robotics. And I wasn't aware that they were into those kind of sensors for robotics and stuff like that, but it's really cool. And I think it's definitely uh, more proof that Canon is going to continue to innovate in all areas of their business portfolio. A lot of people seem to think that Canon's going to fall by the wayside and they're going to kill off their camera division, you know, their photography division. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. Canon seems to be really really, really dedicated to their photography division. Uh, granted, it's not the biggest piece of their, you know, financial pie as far as income streams. Uh, but I, I don't think they spend nearly as much money in research and development of their photography division as they do some of the other divisions. So they have a lot of flexibility and a lot of uh, cash flow, uh, you know, to research and development in different areas of their portfolio of products that they offer to the public or to other industries. And Canon would not be spending as much time and energy in developing all this fantastic new RF glass if they were not gonna be staying in the photography market for the foreseeable future. That being that Canon has come out of the gate hitting hard with high quality RF lenses and most of them are L lenses to boot, that tells me that Canon's definitely going to be in the photography business for many, many more years to come. So if you're one of the people that was worried about them killing off their photography division, uh, I think you've been listening to the wrong rumors and innuendo, and you have absolutely nothing to worry about. You can feel totally confident in continuing to buy photography products in the Canon venue or world, if you will. 
and you'll be you should be comfortable in knowing that Canon's not going to kill off their photography division anytime. I honestly think that Canon's photography uh, division will still be going in another hundred years. They've got over a hundred years under their belt now, and that's not going to end anytime soon. Their photography clients or customers are extremely important to them. They remember their roots. This is a Japanese company. Japanese companies tend to stick to their roots as well as diversifying so that they can continue to have revenue streams and new technological advances. So if you've been worried about, gee, maybe I should jump to Sony or Fujifilm or somebody else because I keep hearing from all these other people that Canon's going to kill off their camera, to their photography division, that's all baloney. You've got nothing to worry about. You can feel confident in buying Canon cameras and lenses because Canon's not going anywhere anytime soon. I believe that they will still be going strong in another 100 years. Now, the third bit of Canon news I wanted to talk about in this episode is the rumors of a new Canon RF 300mm f2.8 L IS USM lens that is rumored to be on the way. Uh, again, on CanonRumors.com, they had previously reported that Canon will be introducing an RF 500mm f4L ISUSM as their first super telephoto lens for the RF mount. Now they are hearing that an RF 300mm f2.8 LISUSM will also be launching sometime in 2020. Their source has claimed that this lens will come with a new and unique feature for super telephoto lenses. Unfortunately, there are no details available at this time. I think it's going to, we're going to see a lot of professional lens announcements for, in 2020 for the RF mount, and I have personally believe that as well. I have a feeling Canon's going to roll out a whole bunch of new RF lenses during the 2020 calendar year. Now, the source uh, for Canon Rumors did not clarify that new versions of the EF 300mm f2.8 LIS2 and the EF 500 f4 LIS2 they could not confirm whether or not there are plans for those two EF lenses uh, anytime soon. So all they supposedly have rumors about is the RF 300mm f2.8 and the RF 500mm f4. Now, as I started to say a minute ago, I have a feeling Canon's going to be releasing a wide array of lenses in 2020. Uh, they've kind of sort of released a little bit of a remote roadmap on their future lenses in, in the same vein that Nikon did with their Z-mount, but... I don't know if Canon's roadmap of lenses is super detailed and inclusive. I think they're going to hold back some things so that they can really wow and impress their consumers when they do release certain lenses. A 300mm f2.8 uh, uh, telephoto prime would be fantastic. I, I'm sure it's going to have a hefty price tag. I would love to have a lens like that myself to add to my collection, but it's more than likely going to be something a little bit too expensive for my taste, uh, especially if I'm not going to use it, you know, for a full-time job or anything like that. Uh, being that right now my full-time photography work is real estate photography, 
there's not much of a need for a 300 millimeter 2.8 prime when you're doing real estate photography. It would be awesome to have for like wildlife or, or professional sports, you know, like baseball, football, NASCAR, stuff like that, or even high school soccer or basketball and things like that. But it's more than likely going to be a fairly expensive lens, but we'll have to wait and see. But I do like the idea that Canon has a f2.8 uh, super telephoto prime lens that's going to be coming out in 2020, as well as excited that they're going to have an RF 500 millimeter f4. Uh, that's going to be an awesome lens as well. I know the EF versions of these lenses are very popular, and Canon sells quite a bit of those to sports shooters and wildlife shooters. So I don't think they'll have any issues um, getting these out there and, and customers gravitating to these new RF mount versions, especially because, you know, anybody that's already invested in Canon, the Canon system, is going to want to start picking up high-end RF lenses, L lenses, because if they haven't already, they're going to eventually, you know, they're going to gradually transition from their DSLR Canon gear to the mirrorless Canon gear. And now, granted, a lot of those folks right now are currently waiting to see what is coming out in the way of pro mirrorless bodies. So, you know, they may not have a, a large influx of sales of these two uh, super telephoto lenses when they are first released in 2020. But hey, if they do announce a serious pro body in 2020 as well, then yeah, that'll change the game drastically. And they could actually uh, see a large influx of sales of these two new lenses, as well as whatever pro dual card slot body they decide to release for the 2020 calendar year. Now, the last item I want to talk about in this week's episode is a little bit of a shift from regular straight photography tech or hardware. Um, but it does go in the same vein because this area of technology is also something that's used by pretty much everybody who's a photographer and cinematographer. And that is the world of digital hard drives or hard drives for storing your media. Now, I did this story as an article on my blog in 2018, and I thought it was a, an important enough story that I should reshare it on an episode of the podcast. Now, the original blog article, uh, the title of it is Stay Away from Western Digital Hard Drives. And I'm sure Western Digital is not going to be too thrilled with me with that title and with this story, but I think it's only proper that I share it with my listeners, especially because our storage as photographers and cinematographers is an, an extremely important part of our workflow. And I want to share as much knowledge and information on anything that affects your workflow as possible. Now, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I've worked in information technology for nearly 30 years. So I do have a vast array of knowledge when it comes to anything technolo technology related, especially storage. And so I thought it was a good time to share this particular story. So in 2018, I was looking to upgrade my raw photo storage capabilities uh, here at uh, my studio. And I, I, I shoot raw 
As many of you know, I've mentioned it in the episodes, I have some of my friend Jared Poland's I Shoot Raw t-shirts, photography t-shirts, which are fantastic. And so being that I shoot raw all the time and I have a camera like the 5DSR, which has a 50 megapixel sensor, as you can imagine, my raw files get to be very large and over time, they take up a large amount of disk space. So back in 2018, I uh, was looking to buy some more storage for my studio. And I'd been hearing for a, a few years from various uh, colleagues as well as coworkers and friends that work in IT that the G-RAID storage systems were top-notch. The G-Drive hard drives and the G-RAID systems were just fabulous and they were high-quality uh, storage solutions. And that, yeah, they cost more, but you're paying for the quality, which is top-notch. Now, sadly, this is not still the case. So if you're not familiar with how things tend to work, especially in the technology sector, um, for many years you had certain uh, manufacturers of different hardware peripherals in the IT world. You had various hard drive companies. You had Western Digital, MacStore, Toshiba, Seagate. There was a few others here and there. Hitachi, I think, did hard drives at one time, as well as uh, uh, Fujitsu. Um, but as happens in most areas of technology, over time, the larger companies tend to buy out the smaller ones, either to eliminate the competition or because that smaller company has actually come out with some new innovative tech that the larger company wants to have and implement in their products. Now, at one time, Western Digital and Seagate were the premier makers of high-quality hard drives, but that's not so much the case anymore. Seagate bought out MacStore a number of years ago, and so far, it's been my experience, Seagate seems to still be making quality hard drives, and they also offer special utilities for free on their website that you can download that will check the health of your drive and, and give you some other capabilities, which are pretty cool. But when it came to Western Digital, their quality has kind of gone downhill, in my opinion, at least, in the last 10 to 15 years. And I did not know when all of my friends and colleagues and coworkers were telling me how great G Drive and G RAID systems were. I did not was not aware at the time that Western Digital had bought G Drive out, and I ended up finding out the hard way. So I purchased a uh, G RAID eight terabyte external drive for my iMac. So this is a portable RAID storage array that consists of two four terabyte hard drives. And generally in a RAID, especially for preserving your files, one of the best RAID formats you can go with is mirrored RAID. Basically what that means is anytime you copy files to the RAID array, you're actually copying the files to each individual drive at the same time, hence the word mirror. So that eight terabyte RAID array, or RAID system, you're only getting four terabytes of actual disk use because each of the four terabyte drives are being utilized as basically disk A and disk B. 
And anytime you, and it's going to show up on your, your desktop computer as a single hard drive at the end. It'll say that the, the uh, storage capacity is four terabytes, even though physically you have eight terabytes in this little enclosure. Now, what'll happen is you drag and drop or copy and paste files into the drive itself or into subfolders within the drive. As I mentioned a moment ago, when you move files or copy files to that four terabyte drive icon, whether it's in Windows Explorer or in the Mac OS Finder, you're actually copying those files to each of those four terabyte drives at the same time. So in the event that one drive fails, you don't lose all of your important files. Being that it's a mirrored RAID, everything is written to disk A and B at the same time. So should disk A die or disk B die, you don't lose all of your files. You're good to go. You can get a replacement disk for the one that died, whether it's A or B. Put that disk into the new disk into the enclosure and the system will automatically begin copying over all of your files from the surviving mirror grade disk to its new partner disk. Well, now, as I, you know, I mentioned, a uh, mirror grade is fantastic because you have, you know, your butt's covered should one of the disks die. But the problem I had was on this particular G-RAID system, after about seven months of use, I had both drives fail at the same time which is pretty much, usually it's fairly unheard of in the world of RAID storage arrays. And I was really shocked that both of the drives died at the exact same time, and I lost everything that was on those disks. Now, I contacted support, which, like I said, that's when I found out that G drives were now owned by Western Digital. So when I reached out to Western Digital to get an RMA, because the unit was, of course, under warranty, I got an RMA number from Western Digital support, and I shipped the system back to them. Now, I had taken pictures of the enclosure as well as the drives because uh, there were different serial numbers, and I had to make sure I had copies of all the serial numbers because the drives are one thing, and then the chassis is another thing, and it's it's a whole production. <laughs> but uh, so anyways, I, I made sure I documented all of that, and I got my RMA number, and I shipped the system to them. Now, the drives not only died, and this could be why uh, this particular incident happened, um, I believe that not only did the, both the drives fail, but so did the chassis itself. And the chassis, you know, supplies power to the drives as well as, you know, it has the storage base that the drives sit in. And it also has a cooling system that, you know, pulls the heat away from the disks because the older style platter based hard drives, they tend to get hot as they run, you know, over time when they're being, when they're powered all the time, they'll, they'll get pretty warm. So you always need, it's always a good idea to have some sort of cooling, and especially when they're confined to uh, a limited storage area like a drive enclosure. You know, those drives are going to get extremely warm, and it's good to have a cooling system, which includes a fan to pull the heat off the drives and vent it out the back of the chassis or the enclosure, whichever you want to call it. So in my case, uh, I believe what happened was not only did both the drives died, but so did the chassis. Maybe the chassis died first, and that's what killed the drives because the drives overheated. 
But either way, uh, I shipped it into the, the entire thing into them for replacement. And they told me I would have my new drive system in two weeks. Well, that ended up dragging on to four weeks before they finally shipped back a replacement to me. And when it arrived, I was all excited. I was like, great, I'm finally going to have, you know, my mirrored RAID again to copy my RAW files to. I open up the box, the you know, the packaging box, and I pull out the product. And the only thing they had shipped me was the enclosure. And I'm like, oh, my God, are these people really this stupid? I told them on the phone when I did the RMA or got the RMA number that the entire system had died. The drives were both dead. The cooling fan was no longer working. I mean, I could power up the enclosure uh, with the drives still in it, but the drives wouldn't mount or anything because they were making clicking noises. And I also let them know that the cooling fan on the chassis enclosure was not working either. So I told them I had a feeling that uh, possibly the enclosure failed, which caused the drives to fail. So they had asked me to ship everything to them. Well, I did that. And then the knuckleheads only sent back the enclosure. I pull it out of the box. I open it up. I go to hook it up to my computer. And I'm like, uh, wait a minute. Why is this enclosure way lighter than the one I sent to them for replacement? And I opened the front door on the enclosure and beep, no hard drives. Uh, I'm like, wonderful. So then I had to reach out to Western Digital Support yet again. And they gave me a bit of a runaround. Oh, well, you gave us this serial number and we needed this serial number. I'm like, I gave you the serial number that you told me to give you when I was on the phone with your support the first time. So it was completely their fault. It wasn't mine. Now, they did finally make it right, and they did not only uh, finally send me replacement drives to go in the enclosure, but they did also send me larger drives. Uh, as I mentioned, the original uh, G-RAID uh, system was 8 terabytes of storage or, you know, two 4-terabyte discs, and then you put them in a mirrored array. And what they ended up sending me back, they upgraded me to a pair of six terabyte drives. So I had 12 terabytes total. But again, being I'm using it in a mirrored RAID, I only have six terabytes of usable space because everything gets replicated from disk A to disk B automatically. Now, so far, uh, the replacement unit seems to be doing okay. I haven't had it fail yet, knock on wood, but... <laughs> It does make me nervous. So now, of course, I've got to also replicate all of my RAID files to, or all of my RAW files to other mediums as well. And it is a general rule, especially in photography, to do what's known as 321 for your backups, where you basically have three, three copies of all your files and you have them on uh, three different mediums. And at least two of those should be portable mediums, and one of those should be stored at a separate location. That's why it's called the 321 uh, backup storage uh, plan. So that's what I would recommend if you're not already doing that. It's a good idea, and I understand it can get a little bit cumbersome because you're, if you're like me and you shoot a lot and you shoot everything in RAW, you're going to be buying extra hard drives on a somewhat regular basis. You know, probably every couple of years, you're going to be buying more storage. Um, and there's some ways around that. You can go with what's called NAS storage or network attached storage. 
um, where you can buy a large enclosure that'll hold a whole bunch of hard drives and give you a massive amount of storage and you can do various RAID configurations, whether it's mirrored RAID or RAID 5 or RAID 10, whatever you want to use. But the problem is those uh, network attached storage uh, hardware, those, those items are not inexpensive. They're fairly expensive. You can find some on, on Amazon that you can buy. And generally, the cheapest one you're going to find on there is usually just for the enclosure. And you'll spend several hundred dollars or more for just the enclosure. And then, of course, you got to buy all of the hard drives to put in the enclosure. So you're going to end up shelling out a lot of money. And that's one of the reasons why I personally have not bought a network attached storage system yet. But I've been kicking the idea around for the last couple of years. And I'm probably going to go ahead and pull the trigger at the beginning of next year and uh, get some sort of network attached storage solution put into the studio here um, so that I'll have a little bit less to worry about. And I'll go, more than likely, I'll go with the RAID 10 configuration. Uh, that way you have mirroring as well as striping. Um, so you have much lower chance of losing your files, you know, even if, you know, a couple of drives fail at once, depending on how many drives total you have in the system. Uh, with RAID 10 or even RAID 5, you know, if you have several drives that are all part of the RAID that you're using, 5 or 10, then you can actually lose more than one drive and still have all of your data intact. So that's more than likely the route I will go uh, when I do finally buy my NAS and implement that. But I wanted to make my listeners aware of this uh, because, like I said, for many, many years, Western Digital made very high quality hard drives. And in my opinion, and you may have a different experience, I personally think the quality of their hard drives has kind of gone downhill in the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, and the reason why I say that is one of the reasons why I stopped buying Western Digital drives is because I'd had so many of them fail on me. Um, whether they were RAID drives or individual external drives like their Western Digital MyCloud and stuff like that. Uh, in the last 10 years or so, I've had a lot of Western Digital drives fail. And in that same period of time, I believe I've only ever had one Seagate drive fail. And I have quite a few Seagate drives. Um, so that tells me that Seagate is maintaining their quality standards, but I don't think Western Digital is quite so much anymore. So I did want to share that story with you as part of this week's episode. Something to keep in mind, you know, keep that in the back of your head when you're out buying storage for your raw files or your video files or even for anything else that you need storage for on your computer system. And again, as I mentioned before, when it comes to storage, storage is universal. So it's not like you got to buy one type of hard drive for if you're a Windows user and a different type if you're a Mac user. All computers use the same hard drives. It's just a matter of the file format or the file structure on the disk itself. So if you buy a disk in a store, it'll say right on the box that it's compatible with Windows, Mac, Linux, yada, yada, yada. You buy it, you take it home, you plug it into your computer system. If it's a file format out of the factory uh, that isn't compatible with your operating system, your operating system can reformat it so it will be compatible. 
But as a general rule, when you buy brand new hard drives, uh, no matter where you buy them, if you buy them at Walmart or Amazon or Fry's or Micro Center or Best Buy, it doesn't matter. Generally, brand new discs will come from the factory with no file structure on them at all. So they won't be formatted at all. And it may, just makes it easier because uh, the company, when they manufacture them, they have no idea who's going to be buying them for what operating system. So instead of having, you know, several versions of the same product and all the ones in this group are Windows only and all the ones in this group are Mac only and all the ones in this group are Linux only, they sell everybody the same hard drive and they print on the box so it's compatible with all operating systems and it's just not formatted with any file structure directly out of the box. You do that yourself when you hook it up to your system and you're good to go. All right, with that, I want to go ahead and wrap up episode 26 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes and anywhere else you might be listening, which does now include Spotify and Stitcher. Still haven't heard anything from Pandora yet on if they'll put my podcast on their platform. They seem to be really slow about that, and I don't think they actually even send you an email and let you know. You just have to search every now and then to see if your podcast shows up in their podcast section of their platform. So nothing there yet. Also, be sure to join the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. You do have to answer a question in order to join the group. It is a closed group. The only question is... Please give the name of the host of this show, which is myself, Liam, or you can put Liam Douglas. Either one will work and you will be accepted as a member. You are welcome to post five images every 24 hours of your own. Please do not be sharing or resharing or stealing images from other creatives. Don't post anything to the group unless it is actually your original work. If you're caught resharing or stealing other photographers' work and posting it in the group, you will be banned. And of course, the security question I have is to try to keep out the bots and spammers and all of that stuff. Now, when you put your photos on the Facebook group, you can either share them, you know, five of them throughout the course of a 24-hour period, or you can show all, you can upload all five at once and let Facebook make a little slideshow thing out of them for you. Um, and if you'd like, you can request creative critiquing. Just post the images and say CC please. And uh, we have members in there that will be more than happy to look at your work and give you some creative uh, criticism and positive feedback. Let you know what they think you might be doing wrong, uh, what you're doing right, how your lighting is, how your focus is, how your composition is, all that good stuff. Um, and uh, we keep it pretty, pretty laid back in there as far as some photography groups, you know, they have different levels of CC. They'll have CC one through four and like CC four is like, yeah, be brutally honest. Make me cry like a little girl when you're screaming and hollering at me about my photos. We don't do any of that silly stuff in the Liam Photography Podcast group. All you have to do is just say CC, please. And we will take a look at your images and give you positive feedback, let you know what you're doing right, let you know what areas you might want to concentrate on improving as far as your skills. And that's that. We're not looking to hurt anybody's feelings or make anybody cry. All right. I am going to go ahead and end this episode and I will see you again next week in episode 27.